about five or six months ago, I, uh, I went through one of the most challenging times in my life, at, at least mentally speaking. And it was the first time that I really um, found myself struggling with depression for more than just a couple days or more than just a week or so. And I'd always kind of thought depression was just being sad, you know, and that's certainly an element of it. I think all we all from time to time feel depressed because of circumstances or situations, relationships, stuff like that. But I discovered that that dealing with depression as like a mental health sort of issue is so much more challenging and so much more complex. And there was certainly some sadness involved in that, but there was also like guilt in a weird sort of way. There was some anger from time to time. There was hopelessness as the weeks kind of progressed on. But what I noticed the most in my own life, and, and maybe your story is similar, the thing that kind of rose above everything else was just, I didn't care about anything. I could not make myself care. And it affected every area of my life. Um, it affected my, my job here. I just, I didn't care about my job. I didn't really, if I'm honest, I didn't really care about the church and our mission and stuff like that. Um, I, I couldn't focus. It was hard to be motivated. Uh, there was even a point during kind of the height of it last fall that I was seriously considering quitting and moving across the country. Uh, I was looking at other jobs. I, I was looking at houses and other parts. Of the, I just thought maybe if I move away, I can get out of this kind of dark cloud that I was under. And uh, I didn't find any joy in my job. I didn't find any joy in my hobbies or interests anymore. Uh, I certainly didn't want to be around people. I mean, we all kind of got to live and do that. But inside, I didn't want to be around anybody. I didn't want to be by friends or anything like that. Um, even within my own family, it was it was painful and it, it, it hurt our relationships. I know with my wife and I, there was very little connection with us for a while, both physically and emotionally. Uh, with my girls, they would come and, you know, they'd want to cuddle next to me on the couch or they'd give me a hug and this sounds horrible, but it's the truth. Inside, I felt nothing. I wanted to. Um, I wanted to feel joy, but I just, I could not make myself get there. There were, there were even a couple days uh, in the middle of it where I just laid in bed all day. I didn't do anything, couldn't get up, just wanted to be, not wanted to be, but just was surrounded in this envelope of darkness. There was no joy, no life, no passion or anything like that. And I think sometimes when we talk about depression, it's, it seems like an emotion we're talking about. And, and maybe that's true. But for me anyway, what I found was a total lack of emotion. I felt disconnected from the world and like I didn't care about anything. And I think for many of us, we can, we can relate with that, that depression is just this incredibly tough thing to walk through. Many of us here in the room, many of us watching online, we struggle with depression. And I'm so grateful that it, it's not been a defining thing in my life. Uh, when, when I feel depressed, it tends to come on pretty quick, but it also tends to leave pretty quick as well. But I know that maybe, that maybe that's not your story. There's some of you that deal with depression on an ongoing daily basis for weeks and months and even seasons at a time. Maybe as fall is approaching, you just dread winter because of seasonal depression or, or whatever it might be. And 
And the reality is the World Health Organization says that depression is the leading cause of disability in our world today. This mental health battle causes more physical disability than anything else. D depression is so powerful, it can literally stop us in our tracks. I've been there before, and maybe you have too. They say that 16 million Americans every single year will struggle with clinical levels of depression, and those are just the ones that, that professionals have counted. The National Institute of Mental Health says it takes the average person 10 years of battling before we're willing to admit that we need help. 10 years of living under this weight before we finally say, I think I've got a problem. I think I need some help. And, and depression is so complex. We know very little about it. We know it affects our feelings. We know depression affects our thoughts. In fact, it leads, unfortunately, to suicide for so many people. It affects our behaviors. But, but scientists and doctors and psychologists are still not really sure what causes it. For a long time, they thought maybe it was linked to, you know, chemical imbalances in our brain. And that, that might still be the case. I don't know. But there's studies recently that have suggested otherwise. For a long time, people have thought that maybe it's linked to genetics, that depression is somewhat hereditary. And again, it could be. I have no idea. But there's studies that would say the other way as well. It just kind of seems like this this area of mental health that we're all still trying to figure out what it is, how it comes on, and, and what we kind of, how we deal with it as well. Now, before we go on to anything else today, I do just want to reiterate something that we've talked about throughout this series, and, and that is this. If you struggle with depression, if you struggle with any, any mental health sort of issue, I want you to know that is not a sign of weak faith. If mental health issues are not a sign of, you know, you don't love God enough or anything like that. If we struggle with depression, it's not because we are a bad person or a bad Christian, okay? There are plenty of, of stories of people that we can read about in the Bible that, that go through the same sorts of things that we do. All sorts of these, these heroes of the faith, we would call them, that struggled in their minds as well. And I think of Job in the Old Testament who lost absolutely everything and he says this, at last Job spoke and he cursed the day of his birth. He said, let the day of my birth be erased and the night I was conceived. Let that day be turned into darkness. Let it be lost even to God on high. Let no light shine from it. Let the darkness and utter gloom claim that day for its own. Sounds like clinical depression to me. But I think many of us have experienced the same sort of thing. King David the only person in, in the Bible known as a man after God's own heart. What an incredible title. But he struggled as well. And in the Psalms, oftentimes he would pour his heart out. In one of them, he says this, How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Many of us have felt like that before. As well, we know when David says this anguish, we, we identify with that personally. Even in the New Testament, we, we see the same sort of feelings rise up. In the Apostle Paul, he writes this, When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction, with battles on the outside, and then 
this weight, this fear, this uncertainty, this uneasiness on the inside. And, and, and I think, man, when we look at the authors who wrote the documents and letters that make up the New Testament, they weren't trying to hide anything, you know? They were trying to pull a fast one on us. In fact, it's one of the reasons that I personally believe the Bible is so credible and that we ought to listen to the wisdom and instruction we read in there because it's not just trying to paint a pretty picture. It's not some biased story of propaganda or anything. It's, it's real men and women just like you and I, open and honest and vulnerable. And I want you to know if, if, if you've felt depression, if you struggle with depression, you are not alone. In fact, maybe when we struggle with depression, we've got really a great host of good company with us. But for as, as, as big of a deal as depression is in our world today, out of all the mental health struggles, to me it seems like one of the issues that still has the most stigma attached to it, at least when it comes to primarily the Christian response to how to deal with it. And maybe you've had some, some well-meaning Christians come up to you before and give you some advice, but in your head and in, you, in your heart, you thought it was more like this video. Go ahead and watch this. That was sarcasm in case you didn't catch it, okay? <clears throat> But sometimes, fundamentally, isn't that what we hear from people? Well, just stop being sad. If you're sad, just stop it. Just don't be down, you know? Ew, icky, gross. And like, man, that isn't how we should treat one another. Especially not how we should respond to people, those of us that are Christians. And, and I just, I just want to say this before we go on. If you are a Christian here today or Christian watching online and you don't struggle with depression, Number one, you ought to thank God every single day for that. But number two, when, if you know somebody or you approach somebody, you have a relationship with someone who does struggle, they're not a problem to be fixed. Okay, those of us that struggle with depression, we're just people made in the image of God who have some things going on. And when we talk to one another and we try to help one another, I just want to encourage all of us, Let's be, let's be aware of our attitude and our heart that it reflects the heart of God, that there's care and compassion and love and that we, we don't just give off some pat insensitive answer, but that we actually walk with people to find hope and to find healing. And that is really what we're, we're talking about today is kind of every single week of this series, if we take things from a 30,000 foot view, how do we find hope and healing when it comes to depression? Is there any hope for our thoughts and feelings and behaviors? How can you and I begin to experience more peace in our minds? And just like we've done every single week, we're going to look at things from kind of both sides of the coin, the physical side of, of how to deal with it, and also the spiritual side of how to deal with depression, because both are valuable. Both are important. God can use both to actually bring about change in us. And I want you to know, if you are struggling today, I want you to hear this. There is hope. There is hope. Every single one of us can change. We can grow. We can learn how to deal with our emotion in, in healthier ways that don't control our lives so much.
Now, on the physical side of things, because depression is, is still so unknown and kind of a gray area, there's all sorts of different treatment options out there. And studies have shown that our brains, when we get depressed, physically, biologically change. There are certain parts of our brain that, that shrink and adjust their size. But the good news is that our brains can actually heal themselves as well. When we take certain steps, our brains can go back to the way that they are supposed to be. We can begin to experience healing. And, and some of these physical strategies that we can take are as simple as getting 10 to 15 minutes of sun every day. Or, you know what, starting an exercise routine. Those have been shown to be very beneficial in dealing with depression. Of course, there's, there's antidepressant medication that if, if your doctor prescribes would be a great step to take, not forever, not for life, but something to kind of get us kick-started and, and moving in the right direction. Talking to a counselor or a psychiatrist is extremely valuable. I don't know why we try and hide that from people or we don't want to take that stuff. It can be incredibly beneficial. There are things that we can do. But as I was researching for this and over the past couple of months and, and even just kind of dealing with it in my own life as well, there were two different kind of therapeutic strategies, you could call them, that rose to the top. I saw over and over and over again. And they seem so elementary. I think sometimes we brush them off or we kind of bypass. But one of the things that we can do to help fight depression in our minds is to simply take care of ourselves, to eat better and to get the right amount of rest. It is amazing how much of a difference that makes. And, and when we're depressed, I know this firsthand, it's the last thing we want to do. We don't take care of ourselves, but that makes the spiral just continue lower and lower and lower. There's an interesting story in the Old Testament about the prophet Elijah. And if you want to read the whole thing later on, you can. It's in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. But basically, here's what happens, okay? The, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, the Jews, they had turned their back on God. And as a result, there was drought and famine in the land. And about three years into it, there's this awesome showdown between the prophet Elijah and 450 false prophets of Baal. And they each build an altar to their God. They're going to have a little duel to see whose God is going to show up. And so these 450 are all around dancing and doing all their stuff. And, you know, their God doesn't show up. He's not real. Then Elijah goes to his and says, watch this. God, do your thing. And fire falls from heaven and the people poop their pants. And they all start, you know, worshiping God. It's amazing. Like, talk about being on a spiritual high. Elijah stands there in front of these hundreds of people and goes like, yeah, you remember that. My God is the true God. Worship him, all this sort of stuff, right? I mean, just awesome, awesome display of God that Elijah got to see and be a part of. Well, Jezebel, the queen of, of the land at the time, didn't like this. She wasn't a follower of God. And so she issues a death threat for Elijah. She says, hey, I'm going to kill you and it's coming quick. And so what does Elijah do? He runs and hides. After this incredible display of God and his power and his awesomeness, he says, and he runs and he hides just this human emotion coming out. He goes into the wilderness and he prays to God, let me die. Everybody's deserted you. Nobody believes in you. I can't do this anymore. I want to die. Have you ever prayed something like that before? That's a bad place to be. Elijah knew what that was like, but, but an interesting thing happens. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, 
an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Now, it would not be wise to build our entire theology off this verse. It would not be wise to build our entire medical plan off this verse. All I'm saying is it's interesting. Here's a guy with anguish. He wants to die. He's depressed. And yet God's specific intervention in this moment is to take a bite and take a nap. Now, 40 days later, God is going to deal with Elijah, really get to kind of the heart of things. But right now, God sends an angel and says, this is what you need. This is to help you right now in this moment of depression. And it is amazing how beneficial that can be for you and I. Taking care of ourselves absolutely makes a difference when struggling with depression. Another thing that we can do that that helps uh, from a physical side of things is just staying in relationships with other people. And we don't have to go out all the time. We don't have to be the life of the party. This is not about putting on a fake smile. But when we isolate ourselves from other people, we hurt ourselves in the process. And I know it's what we want to do. It's what I want to do when I feel depressed. But physically speaking, that is one of the worst things possible. When we isolate ourselves, the feelings of of low self-worth and loneliness and despair, those just compound on one another and make our depression worse. One of the most beneficial therapies for dealing with depression is called emotionally focused therapy or EFT. And EFT really finds its its power, if you want, in human to human connection. Because one of the greatest predictors, studies have shown one of the greatest predictors of human happiness is human relationships with one another. When we have strong connections with other people, when we don't pull away, when we don't isolate ourselves, we are better equipped, we are less susceptible to depression, and we have more inner strength or whatever you want to call it to fight those, some of those negative thoughts and feelings. And again, we see this same sort of evidence in the Bible with the Apostle Paul. We read this verse earlier, but he says, hey, when we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We face conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. But this is not where Paul ends. In fact, the very next thing he writes is this, but God who encourages those who are discouraged, he encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy. But guess what? So was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. When he told us how much you longed to see me and how sorry you are for what happened and how loyal you are to me, I was filled with joy. Again, Paul says, hey, before, obstacles on the outside, battles on the inside. But guess what? When my friend came, I experienced a little joy. And when my friend told me about you, these Corinthian people, guess what? I experienced a little more joy. It feels unnatural. It feels like the opposite of what we want to do. But staying connected to other people, even just one other person, does wonders for our brains. It actually makes a physical difference. And so when it comes to dealing with depression, there are some effective strategies that we can take to 
to deal with it from a physical side. Sunshine, sleeping right, eating well, medication, doctors, relationships, whatever it is, there is hope. We can change. Our brains can begin to heal through some of these physical steps that we can take. But there's also another side to dealing with depression, and that's dealing with it on the inside. There's a spiritual side to dealing with depression as well. And this is, this is where I think Christianity makes all the difference in the world. Because what God offers us through this, this thing we call Christianity is the ultimate answer for depression. Now notice, I did not say the only answer. God and faith are not, or uh, God and medicine are not opposed Faith and, and doctors are not at odds with each other, okay? God can heal a broken arm, but it would also be wise to put a cast on it in the meantime, okay? So, like, it's, it's, not, it's not an either-or sort of thing. It's a both-and, but ultimately, ultimately, we, are, we find the best solution for depression in Christianity. Because here's the thing. We were created to have a relationship with God. Kevin talked about this a lot last week. You and I, we, we were created to have this personal, close, intimate, connected relationship with the God of the universe. It's the very reason we were created from the beginning. The only problem is the ability to have that relationship has been broken. And it's broken when you and I sin. I know that's not a word that we like to talk about or, you know, feel, but the reality is we've all sinned. None of us have lived perfect lives. Some of us better than others. Some of us sin more, some sin less, some sin on purpose. Some of us, it's an accident, but we have all sinned. We're all in the same boat. And when we sin, the moment we do, the ability to have a relationship with God is severed. It is broken. We can't be with him. He can't be with us. He is so righteous and pure and holy. There is no other option. That's why Jesus is such a big deal. That's why we talk about Jesus so often because Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't. He gave his life as a sacrifice for you and I. He paid the penalty that our sins deserve, that we deserved. And in return, when we put our trust in Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross, he gives us his righteousness and we are made right with God again. When God sees us, he sees us as holy and pure and, and just brilliant as Jesus. And because of that, that ability to have a relationship with God is restored. We can now connect with God on the inside and in our hearts and our lives again, the very thing that we were designed to do. And I'm telling you, in this relationship with God that is possible, there are some incredible truths that absolutely help in, our, in, in dealing with depression. There are some, some things that, that we experience. There is, there's, there's healing. We are transformed. We are changed. We are renewed on the inside as we build a relationship with God. And it's a process, okay? It might take a lifetime to work through. We might, we, none of us will ever be perfect in this life, but God works in us and changes us on the inside. It absolutely works or God is a liar. And I'm not willing to say the other one. I believe what he says is true and that you and I can begin to experience more peace in our lives as we build a relationship with him. Now, there's a lot of different 
truths and, and things that we could talk about. In fact, I think one of the most important ones we're talking about next week. Uh, we decided to spend a whole week on it to really kind of dive into it. Uh, so don't, don't miss that. But today what I want to do is I kind of want to focus on two different truths to deal with when it comes to our depression. There are two kind of big things that I think all of us can learn and focus on and live in these truths that will absolutely help us deal with our depression, whether it's small or whether it's big, whether it's from time to time or whether it's something we face every single day. And much like we talked about with anxiety, the more we fill our minds and our lives with the truth of God, the more we experience change and peace as a result. So the first one is this. Number one, God is near. God is near to you and to me when we put our trust in Jesus. One of the most debilitating things about depression is this loneliness and this, this feeling of like, nobody gets that I have to go through this alone. But, but because of what Jesus has done, God is near to us. In one of the Psalms, David says, this Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. If you feel brokenhearted, if your spirit is crushed, I want you to know that God is close. He is there. In another psalm, David says this, You keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. There's not a single tear that you and I have shed that God hasn't noticed. There's not a single valley that we have walked through that God hasn't been there with us. God is near. But his nearness is more than just awareness. In fact, in the New Testament, in a letter called Hebrews, we get the best kind of picture of what this nearness actually means. The author says this, this high priest of ours talking about Jesus, he understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings we do yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly then to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Jesus was fully human. He knows every vulnerable and painful part of what it means to be human. He experienced sorrow. He experienced rejection. He experienced grief, all the things that can lead us to become depressed. Jesus knows what that is like. He understands. And so his nearness is not just a nearness of, of I'm aware of the situation we're going through, but he also understands personally what you and I go through. In, in his book called <clears throat> Gentle and Lowly, the uh, author Dane Ortland kind of expounds on this verse and gives, gives us some more insight into what this means. He says, the burden of this anchor verse is Jesus Christ's sheer solidarity with his people. All our natural intuitions tell us that Jesus is with us on our side, present and helping when life is going well. But this text says the opposite. It's in our weaknesses that Jesus sympathizes with us. To sympathize here is not a cool and detached pity. It is a depth of felt solidarity 
that is echoed most closely in our lives only as parents to children. But he says, indeed, it's even deeper than that. In our pain, Jesus is pained. In our suffering, he feels the suffering as his own, even though it isn't. His heart is drawn into our distress. His human nature engages our troubles comprehensively. God is not distant. God is not disengaged from the battles that you and I find ourselves in. He's not waiting on the sidelines, waiting for us to get our act together, waiting for us to have enough faith for him to, to, no, he says, here I am, come to me. I know what you're going through. Our, Our feelings try to convince us otherwise. Our emotions try to convince us that we're in this alone. But we need to remember the truth because the truth doesn't change. God is near. And it may be one of the hardest things that we do when we're feeling depressed, but spending time with God, building a relationship with him, helps bring this truth to life inside of us. It works. He is powerful. God's nearness actually begins to transform and change us. That's number one. But the second truth is this. There's always hope. Because of what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross, there is always, 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 always hope. Now, hope is one of those weird words that can have lots of different definitions, right? It's kind of like the word love, you know? I can say out of one side of my mouth, I love the medium rare filet mignon at Fogo. And I can say on the other side of my mouth, I love my wife, Casey, so much. Those two are not the same types of love. I mean, have you ever tasted the filet at Fogo? I'm just kidding. It's the same sort of thing with hope. When we use the word hope so often, it's just this flippant kind of word we throw out. You know what? I hope it warms up next week. I hope the snow melts soon. I hope I win the Powerball, even though I don't buy tickets. You know, like, but biblical hope is different. Biblical hope is confidence. It's assurance. It's something that we can hang on to. In fact, in, in the letter of Hebrews, again, the author says this. He says, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. What Jesus accomplished on the cross, restoring this relationship with God, it's not just for today. I mean, that is an awesome part of what makes life livable, but it lasts into all eternity. That you and I, we are just passing through in this world. Our life is but a mist. Peter writes in one of his letters, says we are temporary residents and foreigners. Paul in one of his letters to the Corinthians says, hey, if our, if our hope in Jesus is only for this life, we've missed it, man. We are to be more pitied than anyone in the world. And I, I, I get how trying to think about hope when we're depressed, how that seems like a sacrifice. I've been there. When we, when we are so depressed and overwhelmed, on one hand, I know the thing I want the most is hope. 
but depression is so powerful and our minds can be so controlling. It's also the thing I want the least. And like, if you've never been depressed, that sounds crazy. But if you've been there, you, you know what I mean? I want hope, but I don't want hope. And like, here's the thing. The truth doesn't change. Our feelings tell us there is no hope, but the truth is there is always hope. What we are experiencing right now, no matter what it is, no matter how long we've dealt with it, no matter how severe depression may be, the, the fact doesn't change. There is always hope. In fact, earlier in Hebrews, the author writes this. He says, therefore, we who have fled to him, to God for refuge, we can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And listen, during the fiercest storms of depression, a confident hope is what we need the most. A confident hope is the anchor that keeps us grounded and from going under. But here's the thing about this, this hope, this biblical type of hope. It's more than just information. You know, it's not just two plus two equals four and there is hope. There's an experiential part to this as well. Paul writes about this in his letter to the Romans. He says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. We are restored to have a relationship with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege, this relationship with God that we could never earn, where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Again, it, it, it all goes back to, it all stems from a relationship with God that is possible because of Jesus. And from God's perspective, this relationship ought to create in us confident joy. But when you're depressed, that seems like maybe the most insensitive thing Paul could write, right? Hey, I'm, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling depressed. Paul, if I could have joy, I would. If there was a pill for joy, I would take it. To which Paul would immediately respond. And I know he would because it's what he immediately writes next. He says this, no, no, but listen, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope... This hope doesn't lead to disappointment. This isn't like hoping for warm weather in March. This isn't like hoping that we can retire to certain. This, this is not like that at all. This is different. How do we know this is different? Because we know how dearly God loves us. Because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. This is applicable for so many different struggles that we find ourselves in in life. But that includes depression as well. When we are restored in this relationship with God, there is this awesome hope that we have access to. It produces in us, when we go through these situations, as crazy as this sounds, what Paul is writing, what God is suggesting, that even when we're dealing with depression, there is opportunity for growth and renewal and transformation, and hope is developed in us through our relationship with God. It's, it's this last sentence that, that makes it or breaks it. We experience more hope as we experience more of God's presence. 
In Ephesians, Paul says, listen, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. It is in this relationship with God that hope becomes real. It is through a relationship with God that the strength of the anchor is developed in us. It is through a relationship with God, spending time with him, enjoying his company, talking to him, reading his word, being around other believers, worshiping him. It's through this relationship that we begin to understand and live in the reality that this world is temporary, that the brokenness you and I are experiencing will not last forever. Our minds can trick us, our minds can play games on us, but the reality is the truth we need to remember is there is always hope. There is always, always, always hope because of what God has done for us through Jesus. When we put our trust in Jesus, we have a fully paid, totally secure ticket to eternity where we will spend the rest of our lives enjoying the presence and awesome and power and majesty and peace of God. These two truths right here are fundamental aspects of Christianity, but that also means that they are fundamental aspects of learning to deal with our depression as well. But here's the thing about these truths. They don't just happen overnight. I mean, they're true all the time, but our experience of them, our living in them, it's not, it's not like we flip a light switch and they're on at 100% because we pray a prayer one time. I wish so bad that were the case, but it's not. These truths find their life, their power, the ability to change us. It's not just in a truth is information. It comes in a relationship with God. The more we grow our relationship with God, the more we are changed and transformed on the inside. And that this is not a, a, a guarantee that we will never feel depressed again, but it is a promise from God that we can begin to change, that we can grow, that he can actually work in us and through us and bring about healing and restoration. Jesus promised us peace, a peace of mind that the world could not give but we experience that peace only as we grow in our relationship with God. 